Looking back on that great moment, we find ourselves today celebrating Palm Sunday. I was talking with, with uh, some of you earlier, and we were talking about as kids, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but as kids, in some of the churches y'all grew up in, we were handed palm branches. And we would come in with those palm branches, and some people would wave them, have the kids kind of come down the aisle and, and kind of really celebrate Palm Sunday. One Palm Sunday, we will have some palm branches, some palm fronds, whatever. Count on it. I've always thought about that, and it's always after the fact. Where do you find them? Where do you get them? And maybe we're just going to have to scavenge and get them from one of y'all's houses. We'll figure it out. But Palm Sunday is what we're talking about today. We'll talk about the significance of, of Palm Sunday and, and what it was about, what it was for, what it symbolizes, what it's meant to do, okay? And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 19 today. If you have your Bibles, if you have your, your phones and you want to get those out, I'd love for you to follow along. It's something to have it in front of you as well as on the screen, right? So Luke chapter 19 is one of the accounts of Palm Sunday. And let's look at that. We're going to look at verse 28. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and, um, and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, that the very stones would cry out. What happened here is that what, when a king would come into town, one of the things that people would do, some people would go out in advance and they'd remove, the roads back then weren't as nice as they are now, Okay. Maybe some of you are still living on a dirt road and you've got potholes and you're thinking, I don't know. But comparison, they, were, they would go and they would take rocks and they would, they would prepare the way for the king to come. But what they would also do is the people would welcome the king, welcome a, a high official or leader as they were coming in by laying their cloaks down, which back then wasn't like this is the spare coat of just one of ten that we might have in our closet, Right. So it meant something to lay it down, as well as palm branches for the road that was set before this king to be welcomed. And literally, that's what the people were doing, is what they were welcoming Jesus as their king. For Jesus not just to be a, another teacher, but to be king. For Jesus to be king in our lives is important as well. Not just another teacher, but king means something. 
Now, I want you to look at some of the prophecies. There were prophecies that we find in the Old Testament that actually talked about this actual moment that took place. And we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, okay? We're just going to look to the screen for that one. And this is what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Who's the daughter of Zion? kind of have to know some of this little history to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about God's people, right? Zion is the place of the temple. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, aloud O daughter of Jerusalem. Because behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 450 to 500 years prior to the coming of Christ, we see this prophecy in Zechariah. We also see another one in Psalm 118, if you want to turn there. Psalm 118, verse 19. I'm going to flip back just to have it in front of me. The great thing about Psalms is it's usually pretty easy to find, right? Open up right to the middle. Psalm 118, verses 19. What you need to know about some of the Psalms is that some of the Psalms in the Old Testament were Messianic Psalms. There were Psalms that would talk about the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And this is one that the people, especially the, the teachers of the law, knew very well that when this was quoted, they knew it would be referring back to this Psalm, 118 verses 19. This is what it says. I want to back up to the part that you'll recognize here, but it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Verse 22, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Whenever you hear that reference, and you'll see it a lot through, through Scripture when it talks about the cornerstone or the stone that the builders rejected, guess who that's talking about? It's talking about Jesus, you're right. Because his own people, the Jewish people, rejected him. I just can't fathom that, that the God who, who made us, the, the very Jewish people that should know who this was, rejected Jesus, but it says the stone that was rejected instead has become what? The cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building is the, is the one where it all starts. We lay the plot down here, and everything comes off of that cornerstone. It's laid first. And so this is talking about Jesus. It says, this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success and here's what we just read earlier in the New Testament. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would yell out. It doesn't share this in this version in Luke, but in other versions of the New Testament, in the same account, it says, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what's interesting here is we find, as you look at the account in Luke, is that the Pharisees were not happy about this. You look at the end of the passage in Luke chapter 19. It says, The people were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, 
rebuke your disciples. Because in them shouting that and then saying that, they were declaring that Jesus just wasn't another teacher. He was the Messiah. He's the coming king. And of course, the Pharisees, as we know, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were continually battling against him and, and actually were the ones that drug him away and had him crucified. Tell your people not to say such things. It's interesting that Jesus says, I tell you that if they were silent, that the very stones would cry out. This is a moment, a huge moment, in where God was doing his greatest act where he would reconcile mankind with himself, where Jesus would become the final sacrifice once and for all, take our sins upon him so that we would be reconciled to God, that our sins would be forgiven, that they would be taken away, that we would be able to have, once again, a personal, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God as Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Pretty awesome stuff. Huge, huge day. And when Jesus died and, and when he rose again from the grave, everything changed. And we're going to be talking more about that, of course, next Sunday. But as, as he was coming in as king, one of the things that the people didn't understand, though, was how, what the kingdom was supposed to look like. There were previous occasions where people want, Jesus left early after, after feeding these people a bunch of bread and fish, right? Feeding the 5,000 at one point, I think seven in another a second occasion, where they want to just drag him away and, and make him king. But what they wanted him to be king of was, was more of a political thing. They wanted him to be a physical king at that point. They wanted to be someone that would kind of rush in and knock everyone else aside and, and make things right in a very physical, kingly, political, if you will, kind of way. But Jesus had something interesting that he shared in Luke chapter 17. I want you to take a look there with me. Luke 17, 20 and 21. And they're asking him about the kingdom. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. At least not right now. It's not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is here. It's in, in the midst of you, but it's not going to look yet quite like you're thinking. One of the things we find as we study the kingdom of God is it's one of those things that's here right now, but it's also not yet. It's here right now, but it's also not yet. It's one of those things that is going, that is basically unfolding because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so I want us to, to talk about three, kind of, if you will, three steps that God has laid out. Okay? What is the kingdom of God look like right now? And what will it look like? Because right now, when we think about what Jesus has done, when we think about the kingdom of God, we can look around still and see a lot of tragedy on earth, can't we? We can look around, we have a lot of questions, and we wonder why. Lord, why, why did this happen, or why is this happening? 
I don't see that if you're king, then why is this taking place? Because you're not, that's, if you're in charge, then why is this happening? I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that. But the kingdom of God, as Jesus says, is not always, at least right now, going to be observed in the way that you think. But here's what he did say. First of all, uh, these three points, and I'm going to expand on them, come from John Piper, which I think laid it out really well, okay? Just to give him some, the credit for, for some of this. But these are the three things that he is rolling out. How is he king? First of all, Jesus is king in the hearts of people, okay? What I mean by that, it's not it's not uh, meant to be an ushy-gushy thing. I don't mean it in that sense. But what I mean is that he is king in our relationships. He's king in the fact that he has triumphed over sin, over Satan, over death. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have forgiveness of sins that we didn't have before. When he is king of people's hearts, people change, don't they? We talked about this key verse referring to salvation in, in the book of Romans. I want you to throw that up for me real quick, Justin. In Romans 10, 9 through 10, talking and saying, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, another word for king, really. Lord is the king of all. If Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? What? For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. There is a salvation that takes place. There's forgiveness of sins. We have peace with God on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis with him. Our, for, our forgiveness of sins, a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says what? That if we believe in Jesus, that the old is what? Gone, right? And the new has come. That we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, the first thing that we'll see is an immediate change within us, within people on an individual level. Jesus being king means a transformation in our lives. And that's huge. Now, it's one thing for the transformation to take place in our own lives, in people in individuals, but what Jesus has called us to do, his kingdom, the next phase, if you will, of his kingdom is that he reigns by gathering together a people for himself. He's bringing together all those individuals that I just talked about as a what? As a church, as a congregation. He is gathering those people together. He is creating his kingdom through the church through citizens that have an allegiance, if you will, to a kingdom that is not of this world. The king that we serve is Jesus. Now we have, we've had many presidents. We've had many leaders. We have leaders on a local basis and on a, on a federal basis. And, and we have those people that, that according to scripture have been placed in power by him. Are they all respecting what God has to say? No. Will they answer to him? Yes. Okay? So when you see a leader that's not quite doing things God's way, they will answer for that, but Scripture teaches that God put them into power for whatever reason. 
But even though President Trump, for example, for us as Americans is our president, we actually serve someone higher. We serve a king, the king of kings, as the Bible says, the Lord of lords, Jesus, our Savior. No matter who's president, no matter who is in charge of us on any kind of, of level, are, we have a greater king that we serve. And so what God is doing, what his kingdom looks like, it takes place in an individual level, and then it also takes place in a corporate level as a church. And he's gathering this people together. And as we see in Scripture, and as we've talked about so many times, he's gathered us together for a reason. The Bible talks about the church. It talks about believers being the light on a hill. That we are the light of the world because of Jesus. And we are to spread that light, spread that truth. We are to be those that are reconcilers, right? Between God and man. And to let other people know about Jesus. You want to change the world. The world is only changed through hearts. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. What we are called to do, the Bible teaches, is to be ambassadors for Christ as his church. We are to share his love and his grace, the message, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you, for the church, with the rest of the world. What we see instead, and I don't mean to ruffle feathers here in any kind of way, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk, and it's all over Facebook and it's everywhere else, and I don't care what side that you're on. This whole thing with, with, with kids, you know, the school situation and the gun situation and how you feel about guns, you don't feel about guns, you should have this or have that, and guns are the problem, they're not the problem, it's the people, and, and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff only truly changes when God changes hearts, right? What that kid did was because of that kind of darkness, a heart that was away from God, not connected with God. And it's not just that. It's relationships that are torn apart. It's people that, that uh, do certain things because their heart is, is what's reigning over their life is sin and darkness rather than the peace and the love and the grace and forgiveness of God. If anything, Palm Sunday should remind us, first of all, who is king. It should remind us who we serve and not just who we serve on an individual level. America is very individualistic, and it really stinks when it comes to the church because he's called us to come together. Because you never feel like you're going to be able to do it on your own, that you're going to really change the world and reach people on your own. And sure, it happens on an individual basis, but we need each other to come together to encourage one another as a team, as a force, as a movement, as the church of Christ to go out and to make a difference. To encourage one another when we fail and we fall, too. Because just because we're forgiven doesn't mean that we, met, that, we, that we don't mess up, does it? We need the forgiveness and the grace of God. We have got to come together. So his kingdom first is on an individual heart basis. His kingdom also means that he is calling together a congregation of people. He's calling together his church to, to make a difference, okay? To be the light of the world, to be the salt of the world. What does salt do, right? 
It preserves, but it also brings flavor. It brings taste. In other words, it shows you what life is really all about. And I say this a million times. You can't understand what life is about without Jesus. It doesn't make sense without Jesus. That's the whole point of the name, real life, right? So it's our calling as individuals, it's our calling as a church, considering what I just said, in spreading the kingdom of God, knowing who our king is. We serve a higher king. I want to share you a little bit out of Ephesians just to talk about the church, give you a picture of how it's described. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22, it says, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The God, is, God is gathering us together to be a building, to be a, a holy structure of people, if you will, that's, that's a congregation of people, not a building, but a structure, a gathering together of people as the church. Let's look at another verse. And the second verse in Ephesians I have is out of uh, chapter 4, 15 and 16. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is describing the church in, as, a, in, as a body, right? And we'll see other gifts that God's given us as we come together. But you've got eyes, ears, knees, and toes, okay? We come together as a church with specialized gifts to go and to make that difference, to be a light to the world, spreading the kingdom of God. And when he says that the kingdom's not like you'd think it would, it's in your midst it's among you. This is what he's talking about. The church can go to some very dark places and bring light, can it? It can bring change to communities. The Bible teaches about a second coming, which is the third thing of Jesus that we're going to talk about, but he expects us to do our part first. The things that we're building are not going to disappear when Jesus comes back. The things that we are building for him will last the lives that are changed, the communities that are changed, all these things that the church does in the name of Christ is something that is lasting. We have to take our responsibilities seriously. I know mean, you've probably heard this song on, on Christian radio, and I can't remember who sings it. You guys would probably know. This got to, came from Winter Jam, so they've, they've got the guys on, on, on lockdown here. But there's a guy that's talking about this guy sees something horrible in this song. It's like, you know, Lord, why don't you do something? God, why don't you do something? Right? You, you, anybody know what song I'm talking about? Kind of nod your head a little bit. And he says what? He says, basically, I sent you. He 
And we do that a lot of times. We grumble and we gripe and we complain. This is horrible. God, why don't you do something? You know what Christians mean? The word Christian means? Initially, it was a term of derision. They were picking on Christians. But Christian means little Christ. Christians being representatives of Jesus, being his ambassadors, means that we're the ones that are supposed to do something. The church. And as much, regardless of your political view, it's not the government's job to take care of the poor. It's not the government's job to fix communities and neighborhoods. It's not the government's job. And they might get involved, and that's great. But you know who's first primarily responsibility it is? It's the church. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And every day that we miss that, you know, and we sit back and gripe and say, Lord, why don't you do something? He's saying, do what I told you to do. Prior to this passage where he comes in as the king, there's a story that he shares with people. He shares a story about the minas, if you've ever heard this. Mina was a, uh, like a month's wages. He tells up and he says he it says at the very beginning of this parable that he tells the story because people thought that the kingdom was going to come right away. And what it does is it's a story where he gives people a certain amount of money and he says, or in this case, really responsibility, and says, "Let's see how you handle it. And if you handle this responsibility well, when I come back, you'll have even more." It's not something that we, you see three people in there. He gives someone 10, he gives someone five, he gives someone one. The guy that has 10 goes out and, and works with it, does what he's supposed to do. He's got 10 more, right? His responsibility is growing. He's reaching more and more people, if you consider what the parable actually means. Same one with the person that has five. There's this one guy who doesn't do anything. Says he takes the master's money and just buries it in the ground. He didn't even put it in the bank, according to Jesus' story. He didn't even do the most basic thing. You could have let it gather interest, you know? In other words, I guess you could have put the truth up on a billboard and let it hang there. Hey, I'm done, one and done. People are going to drive by and see the truth. No one's ever going to talk to them, but, you know, kind of put it in the bank. But he didn't even do that. Jesus shares that. He tells the reason why he shares that story before he even walks in as king. We have a responsibility. Not just your pastor. All of us as believers, as the church. When I say the church, I don't mean real life. I mean the church universal, global. We have to be unified. Here's the third thing. Jesus is coming back, praise God. Second coming of Christ is how you hear it phrased, described. And for all that's left undone, Jesus comes back and he sets everything right. He brings a physical kingdom. He brings things to right. Now here's, here's what I, I want to share with you very clearly is that we, we have this mentality at times, and I probably might challenge your theology a little bit with this, but I believe it's very, very solid. We have this mentality that 
that we're saved so that one day we'll leave this earth. And then the earth is gone, right? So we don't care what, what happens here at some point because, you know, it's done. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches. Let's look at it. We look at the second coming of Christ, Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What we see is not us leaving heaven or leaving earth to, to be in, to go up. We see God coming down. We see heaven and earth united. Now what I mean by that is the Bible teaches there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth, okay? New heaven, when you look at what that actually means, we're talking about skies, we're talking about the, the atmosphere, not heaven in the sense of streets of gold, okay? The Bible teaches that the two are coming together. There still will be an earth, okay? There's, heaven is literally the place where God dwells. His presence will be among us permanently. The temple in the Old Testament teaches that very thing, that the God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. We could access God anywhere. Okay? That's that same mentality. It's, it's coming together. Heaven and earth unite. The presence of God and, and mankind will unite. So we, we will still have a physical earth that we'll be running around on. Okay? Brand new without all the issues. We'll, have, we'll, we'll still have, and then we also will have the streets of gold. We'll also have being the presence of God and angels and all kinds of amazing stuff, okay? It's both. If you ever thought heaven was going to be boring, look at this and be relieved that it's not just sitting on harps, sitting on clouds playing harps. It's, it's both and, okay? It's all this. It's bigger than you've ever thought of before. It's being in the presence of God and, and having a new earth. It's crazy. The point of that is this, is that what we do here matters, and what we do here is sustained. The changes that you're a part of in people's lives, the communities that you change, the people that we talk to at the nursing home and sing with, and, and the people you talk to about Jesus on the street, the homeless people that you're handing out cookies to, all that kind of stuff matters and lasts. The work that you do for God. The work that you do for Jesus is not something that passes and fades away. It's a tapestry. 
It's a bunch of threads that are all coming together and being woven in all across, all across the world in hearts and lives. And Jesus is going to come back and finish the job. It's pretty awesome. The king, don't forget today. Here's the point. Don't forget who you serve. Don't forget who your real leader is. Don't forget who your real king is. And don't forget what your real responsibility is as an individual Christian and as a part of the church. We celebrate his kingdom that's alive, that's real right now. Amen? Yeah. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you so much for your presence with us. And Lord, um, theology, the study of theology is, basically means right thinking about you. Lord, I pray that we would believe and think the right things according to what your word teaches. And Lord, your kingdom, what you've envisioned here, Lord, help us to help us to realize how important it is for us to be representatives of your kingdom. Lord, to live every day realizing that you are our king. Lord, to live every day realizing that you are coming back. Lord, the excitement of realizing how that's ever bigger than maybe we've ever thought. Lord, to live with you um, on a personal one-on-one basis like that is incredible. But Lord, of course, we, we have that relationship with you now. And though we can't see you and touch you, we, we know your presence is with us. According to the Bible, you say that your spirit indwells us. Lord, that's a mystery that's hard to fathom. But Lord, we ask that that you would continue to help us to see and to understand. Help us to live day by day with you as our king. Lord, we lay our cloaks down. We lay our palm branches down. We welcome you as our king. We celebrate you as our king this morning. Lord, let us live as your faithful servants. We celebrate you. We love you. We thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.